Welcome to the Old Galway Diary Podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you. Hi, Tom. Good morning again. How That's Ronnie. Well, it's a beautiful morning. Thank it God. It is, actually. It is, actually. This is the kind of Irish summer weather I like. You know, it's not too hot. It's not raining. It's kind of mild and it's cool. And it's, you know, it's very pleasant indeed. I like this weather. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, I wasn't at the races, but I'm told they were a great success. And congratulations to them, uh, even though you know that were, the crowds were limited to a thousand. But with all the owners and trainers, it looked much more and ladies dressed up and there was a great deal of style. And I spoke to several people and they said they had absolutely a marvellous time, one of the best race meetings ever. Oh, <laughs> but they, right. It did come across well on the television that I saw. But, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a success. Yeah. Anyway, you did the races last week, Tom, and it was very opportune. What are you doing this week? Uh, This week, I am writing about Taft's in William Street. Oh, yeah. Uh, This was, of course, a very major shop and a very big business in Galway for most of the last century. John J. Taft and his wife, Henrietta, they were... The people they came to Galway originally from County Cork, from Bantry. In fact, this man had been working in textiles with Bantry woolen mills, and uh, but it went out of business when the during the War of Independence the factory was burnt down there, and he came to Galway uh, with his wife and young family. Uh, <clears throat> I suppose with his textiles background, it was kind of inevitable or natural for him at least to open up a drapery shop at number 12 William Street. This was a very, yeah, right in the heart of Galway. This was a very substantial building, uh, a very fine facade and uh, quite a big site, in fact, as well. Uh, and he opened up a drapery shop there on Chok Gaelach, he called it as well. So he obviously had an interest in the Irish language and certainly in Irish script, which is, uh, as you will see in the photograph in this week's paper, uh, it's a beautiful uh, font of Gaelic script over the uh, shop front. William and Henrietta, they had five children. They had Joseph, Eddie, Netta, Una, and Flo. They specialized in selling woolen goods and tweeds. Uh, But if you look carefully at the photograph and at the display in the windows, you'll see that they sold a whole lot of general drapery goods as well. It was quite a big shop. Uh, I I remember it. Uh, And it very quickly became quite successful, a Galway institution, really. they advertised extensively. Uh, they were all, you know, the, the usual things like we have the best bargains in the world and that sort of stuff. Um, big savings can be made by pay, come to us immediately, don't delay, etc. Uh, 
<laughs> but they they would run very fashionable lines in ladies' dresses or in uh, hats, that kind of thing. <clears throat> John died. He was the main man. He died in 1946. And uh, the business began to change then because there were more and more tourists coming to Galway and it became a kind of a go-to place for the tourists, uh, for visitors, uh, whom, as I say, were charmed by the almost Dickensian quaintness of the shop. <laughs> and it's very old-fashioned way of dealing with customers. Yeah, it was it was now being run by Eddie and Una, and uh, under her management, and she was obviously a very astute manager, they began to do a very good mail-order business, particularly in iron sweaters. <laughs> with American customers. But through circumstances, really, that carried an element of sadness and, and also the ill health of both Eddie and Una, it began to decline. And eventually, and sadly, in 1996, uh, Taft ceased trading. The, the family lived over the shop. There was a very extensive garden at the back. They had, which included a tennis court, and they often had parties there. They were very well known in Galway, in commercial circles, in social circles, in sporting circles. Eddie and Una were, um, I suppose, well-known characters, you could call them, really. Una went to school in the Dominicans in Taylor's Hill. She was a pretty magnificent-looking young woman. Uh, she stood out from the crowd. <clears throat> Uh, she uh, was uh, often seen in the crowd. For example, she was always at the Galway races that you were just talking about. And she was a terrific sportswoman. She excelled at tennis, obviously, but uh, she was a very good oarswoman and a hockey player as well. Yeah. And she also did, in her earlier days, quite a lot of acting with various drama groups in town. Right. She, she died in 2006. Eddie, her brother, had died in uh, 2001. And, uh, you know, like it was a very sad demise at the end. It was. An awful, an awful, yes, an awful we pity. It, we saw it happening, which was very yes. sad. Um, yeah. I agree with you. And it was funny you should do a task today because just in our own family app, we were looking at old photographs of Una and indeed how attractive she was. But um, yeah. and we well, all she was, she was statuesque. Yeah, you know, we saw yes. this this demise of this family and this business dragged out over the years, and it was it was really sad, as you say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and yeah. even sadder that the the building yeah. uh, is still there. It's yes, getting more and more derelict now, and yeah. it's criminal. I know there were some attempts at development there but there were objections and that held and stalled yeah. everything up really uh, but it's a bit of, it's an eyesore now in the middle of Galway and it it's an awful shame really it is it's a valuable property valuable yeah. right in the middle of town as you say I'm amazed yeah. that whoever is making the objections uh, have sustained sustained their attack because it's been repainted. Actually, this morning I walked past it, Tom, it's being repainted yet again. It's just painted over in one colour to try and meld it in a little bit with the other shops. 
that are doing yeah. their best after the lockdown indeed. And it's awful to have that eyesore in town, but it, it, it's an eyesore with a sad story. And uh, Indeed, yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. You've said yeah. it well there. I look forward to that photograph, Tom. That's yeah, it. well, and it yeah. just goes to show, you know, how not quite so much how the mighty have fallen, but how once has declined and declined and yeah. is now beginning yeah. to crumble and... Yeah, the name. There's an article in today's Irish Times about a building falling down in Bray and leaving a lot of rubble on the street. And I I can see that happening uh, in William Street, and that would be even worse. The name Taff, Tom, is interesting. That's a very old name, Taff. Um, Yes. um, Do you know anything about the name? I don't. All I know in this case is that they came from Cork. Yeah. Uh, down the street in Shop Street is Taft's Pub, and Pat Taft originally came from Mayo. Uh, he. This so, is the pub now. This is the pub. Yeah, the pub. Yes. yes. So I, I, I'm honestly not sure. No, yeah, where it came yeah. from. It's a. It's just a very old name. I'm sure. Um, yeah. I've come across it in. In you know, excellent. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's something. To, I'm looking forward to seeing the photograph, particularly. Um, yeah, yeah. Cool. And there's a gentleman at the door. I am not sure if it is John J. Taft, uh, right. but he looks distinguished anyway, and he's obviously very proud standing at the doorway of this building. Yes, good man. Well, I remember Eddie would drive up Salt Hill in a, an open sports car and yes. park near Black Rock and chat the girls. Yes. And, uh, he always, he, was asked, for, he always wore a cravat and he yeah. was very well dressed. His hair was beautifully in position and he looked he looked the ticket really with the car and the cravat. Yeah. And he, he was asked once because the sports car was very unusual in Galway. <laughs> he was asked, does it, does it use much oil? I suppose it would if it got it, he said. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Good for old Eddie. But then he became unwell and... Uh, Yes. Uh, yeah, it was a slow decline, really. It was, it was. Indeed. With both yeah. of them, in fact. I know, yeah. poor Una and the dogs and the, the the shop smelt, and yet it was still opened, and, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we saw all that. All right, <laughs> that's good. Well, listen, um, I'm still on the high seas, um, uh, and I've had a lot of research done over the holiday weekend. And I'm glad to say that the Indian Empire, the first boat in the Galway line, did eventually get off to New York. Unfortunately, it had trouble. And uh, there's a little bit of an ill omen about it all. Uh, The average days from Liverpool, from Liverpool to New York was 11 days. The Indian Empire took 14 days. So that kind of wrecked things a little bit. But no, that did not cause any dispiritedness. It was a warmly welcomed in New York. There was a great movement from the Irish Americans and the Galway Irish Americans to be there at the dock. And uh, Mahar of the Sword, Francis J. Mahar was there to welcome them and they made great speeches. And just another indication of you know, things not quite working out. This coincided with the great uh, exhibition at Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, London. Now, the great exhibition of the middle of the 19th century was really a massive affair. It invited all the countries in the world, and I think most countries that could possibly do so had an 
an exhibit there. But it was mainly, of course, to uh, show the might and the power and the majesty of the British Empire. One of the organizers, the chief organizers actually was Prince Albert. And it was a massive success. Um, I just saw that the crowds, the daily attendance was at least 40,000. In one particular day, it reached 100,000. And it was uh, displayed in this massive glass uh, building, huge, huge glass building. Now, now it was in Hyde Park. It was after the fair. It was dismantled and shown elsewhere, in fact. But anyway, somebody had the bright idea of why not uh, having a ship coming from New York to uh, the, the, the fair, New York to Liverpool, and train down to the Crystal Palace to see this great fair. And it was advertised in one of the New York newspapers, the New York, um, I've forgotten the name of the paper now, but it was advertised, see the World Fair. Um, uh, We would organize it. It would take us, uh, you know, 11 days or 12 days to cross and you'll get straight on the train at Liverpool down to London. Now, when the Irish, the Galway Irish Americans heard this, they said, hey, just a minute now. Why don't we persuade this boat, the North America, to come to Galway and, you know, make Galway the showcase for this event? Well, I needn't tell you, it took off like, like, like a house on fire. Everybody was delighted with the idea. Yes, bring the boat to Galway. And the owners of the North America said, yes, we will. We'll come to Galway. And... Galway was delighted because it would, you know, it would have a reverse trade. Not only was we were we going uh, from yeah. east to west, if you like, but they exactly. were coming our way as well. <laughs> so great excitement, great excitement. And uh, the, the boat was to come into Galway at a certain date, but that was postponed. Now, don't forget, uh, newspapers were slow to come from America because we were relying on ships to come in. So the North America was to have been the recent newspapers that it didn't do so. Then there was a bit of a row, a dispute of the North America. Rumours in Galway again, oh, Liverpool are up to it again. What, Liverpool are letting us down? They don't want this to happen. And the North America never left New York. Just one of these things. Maybe there weren't enough passengers. I don't know. But it never left New York. And there was talk then that Liverpool were up to their old tricks. But really, the Liverpool interference it was much exaggerated. And uh, I did phone um, my good friend, uh, Dr. Timothy Collins, about the two uh, pilots, uh, Patrick Wallace and uh, Henry Burbage. And I asked him, Timothy, what happened to um, to Wallace? Was he murdered or how is it that he was found dead? And uh, Timothy, of course, is a historian and careful with what he says, whereas I can be a little more uh, free. <laughs> he said, well, really, um, he suggests that Burbage and Wallace, in fact, were totally inexperienced pilots. And they were probably hired cheaply and they rammed the ship on the rocks through absolute ignorance of the bay. It emerged later, he says, that Burbage and Wallace were barely literate and certainly they were unable to read a marine chart. As for the poisoning, though that was uh, identified, there was a post-mortem carried out on Wallace. There was definitely poison in his stomach. 
nobody said what the poison was. And again, um, Tim suggests that perhaps it was simply bad whiskey, which, you know, is quite plausible, really. <coughs> yes. As for the Liverpool's objections to the Galway uh, efforts and getting the packet station opened in Galway, uh, Tim has looked at uh, newspapers in Liverpool of this period, and lo and behold, there is no mention whatsoever about Galway. There's no, there's no, there are mentions of lots of other places trying to get to muscle in on the transatlantic business, but no mention of Galway. So it, 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 we have to accept that really, you know, the exaggeration of Liverpool's interference was, was probably just that, an exaggeration, but it yeah. certainly added spice to the whole story. But this week, my, my main uh, episode this week is that a large contingent from Galway went to see the British Prime Minister. And he was the Earl of Derby, a very, very uh, clever man, three times Prime Minister, uh, the longest leader of the Conservative Party that they ever had. The uh, group that met him were, were certainly high powered. They were, um, you know, the, the, the Galway sheriff went there. Of course, the mayor went there. Um, Father Peter Daly went there. In fact, the two MPs were there, William Gregory and Lord Duncan. There was over 70 people in the, in the delegation. So you can imagine what yeah. that, where, where they were fit, I don't know, where they all streamed into, but Lord Derby was very accommodating. He was glad to see them. And the main thing the Galway delegation wanted, they assumed that the packet, you know, yeah. packet ship business would come to Galway without any problem, but they wanted money to build the harbour, 150,000 which in those days was many, many, many millions, as you can imagine. And Lord Derby listened to the Indeed, yeah. and he, he said that really he was not, he was not inclined to award the, the packets business to the west of Ireland, but there was a commission set up and he would listen to what the commission says. And, um, you know, he, he really wouldn't give an opinion until that commission had spoken. And politics, and, politics. Yeah, I know, I know. But as for the 150,000, he looked around rather bemused and said, well, who, 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 what would Galway give as a guarantee against such a loan as this, which was very considerable? And amazingly, your friend and mine, Father Peter Daly stepped forward and he said, I would personally guarantee the loan. So everybody <laughs> absolutely gasped that Peter Daly was that wealthy that he could do that. Anyway, they left, and when they came home, um, uh, Daly reported back to the uh, Harbour Board and the town commissioners of his recent mission, and everybody was absolutely delighted. And they proposed a unanimous vote of thanks for the great disinterestedness shown by Daly upon this and all other occasions where the promotion of the interests of Galway and its people were concerned. So Daly emerges the hero, and I'm sure people were scratching their heads. How did he yeah. have that kind of money to come forward? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's, so I thought next week I'd look a little bit at Peter Daly. The commission is going to decide whether Galway will get 
the, um, the, the, the rights, if you like, for the postal yeah. and the other uh, very, very, uh, exp very, very, you know, worthy things like the post and um, cargo and licenses for passengers. They assumed Galway would get it. A commission is going to look at that. And I'm just going to talk about Peter Daly next week because really he's got yeah. away with a lot so far. Oh, uh, yeah. And he was a fascinating man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There is quite a bit written about him, more in the newspapers actually than in articles because um, he was in everything. He had finger in every pie in Galway. He did. And, um, I'm not quite sure how he got the money himself, how he got such vast money himself. I don't if he had it at all, Ronnie. If he had it at all, I know, but at yeah, least yeah, he yeah. had the nerve to come forward and say so. Yeah. He's buried in Bushy Park. That was his church. He built that church as well, actually. Yeah. 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 And also there is a peculiar thing. I was just coming out of town in my car the other day and I was driving around by Wood Key, coming along by the um, uh, Mercy Convent. And I saw a blue plaque dedicated to Peter Daly uh, and that the strange Gothic little church there uh, on the right-hand side of the road, just as you're merging into the traffic to go over Sam Weir Bridge, uh, the plaque uh, commemorates yeah. that this church, in fact, was also built by the Reverend Price, yeah, Peter yeah. Daly. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> so there you go. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, a rogine is a great word they use in Mayo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the little rogueine, and uh, that's what he sounds like to me. Yes, I don't know that I would trust him. I know he got a lot of things done, but I'm not so sure I would trust the man. Well, that's the interesting thing. Apparently, he did. Of course, the real test is: will he get the uh, the the packet license? Will yes, he indeed. Galway yeah. to be uh, nominated as the transatlantic um, harbour yeah. and Liverpool to put to one side? And uh, without reading further, I have my doubts. <laughs> okay. Well, we're looking forward, not just right, this Tom. week, but to next week as well. All right, Tom. Take care. Have a good day, Ronnie. Have a good you day. Too. You too, Tom. Bye. <laughs>